The reading this morning is taken from John 2, beginning to read at verse 1. Jesus changes water into wine. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 80 to 120 litres. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did there in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Are you going to stand there for long? Because I've got three quarters of an hour to preach. Oh, I'll stand there then. <laughs> Morning, everybody. I'm sorry you put up with me for a couple of weeks running. I do apologise for that. But today we're going to Cana in Galilee, and I'm going to give you a bit of a geography lesson. You probably know that uh, Israel's at the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea, and many of you will have been there. And Cana is in the north of Israel, and it's about 10, sorry, it's 10 miles west of the Sea of Galilee and four miles north of Nazareth. Now, have you got it? We pinpointed that. Well done. And Jesus, with mother and disciples, and of course other guests as well, were invited to this incredible wedding. I guess most of the people there, including the bridegroom and the bride, had no idea what miracle was going to happen when the wedding began. Bear in mind that weddings, of course, uh, and their celebrations were over a week. Gosh, it's expensive enough to marry a daughter off for one day, but let alone for a whole week. This is what actually happened in those days. And whereas today people turn up for weddings from miles away, they even fly to a wedding, or they travel by train or by car, in those days, of course, to get to a wedding, you either walked or sat on a donkey. So you really didn't have distant relatives. The only great thing was there was no parking problem outside the church. So that was it. One thing one notices about this, and I think it's lovely, the Lord Jesus 
was on a mission to save the world. And he took time to go with mother and disciples to be at this lovely social occasion. I suppose we're tempted to think, are we not, that to do social things outside of Christian work is something to be frowned upon. I take an opposite view. Honestly, I believe if I asked you to put your hands up, we would still say most of my friends are Christians. I think most of my friends are not Christians. It's not because they don't like me. It's just simply because I feel that we as Christians should be mixing in the world and reaching them for Christ. And Jesus himself coming to this incredible, wonderful wedding has put that as part of his itinerary because he wanted to meet people. And I believe that if we have a family where perhaps a wife is a Christian and husband isn't or children aren't, we ought to spend time with them and give them a priority. If we have neighbours who aren't Christians, what about them? If we go to a golf club or whatever in the world, I believe as Christians we ought to do what Jesus did and go out and be amongst them. Well, we're not informed of who the marriage couple are, which is rather amazing, because if you go to a wedding, you expect to know who the bride and bridegroom are. But John didn't record that. He was there, of course, making this narrative. But Mary was there, and I would guess was sitting or standing near Jesus and chatting away. Now, forgive me if you think I've made this a little bit too modernistic, but I think it puts the whole thing in context. Mary noticed some sort of commotion. The waiters were chatting amongst themselves, and there were all sorts of glum faces, I can imagine. And what Mary at that time didn't know was that the wine had run out. Now, was this at the beginning of the week? of festivities or in the middle, we don't know. But whatever it was, it was a dry barrel. Mary had an ear to what they were saying to each other and whispered to Jesus, I think they've run out of wine. (laughs) Jesus might have said, so what? But he didn't quite say that. Perhaps there were more guests than they'd already planned for. Perhaps others had been invited themselves to the party. At any rate, there was no more wine. Mary's whisper to Jesus was more than a comment because she knew that the calling of Jesus may be he could actually do something about it. The real problem was, of course, the bride's parents You just think how embarrassed they might have been. I know at our daughter's wedding, one of the big concerns were the refreshments afterwards. And is there enough? I suppose like most weddings, there's far too much and you don't know what to do with all the food afterwards. It might appear to us that Jesus' reply to his mother was rather terse. But I don't see it that way. I am certain that he was not being disrespectful when he said to his mother... Something like this, okay, mum, don't involve me. My ministry's not yet started. Let's just wait a minute and see what they're going to do. Now, that may be putting words into Jesus' mouth, but I'm sure that was the attitude. He wasn't being disrespectful to his mother. But Mary, she used her nouse a little bit, 
and said, I think, to the waiters there, hang on a moment, whatever my son says to you, though it might seem strange, do what he says. And there's a lesson for us there which we're going to come back to. I think Jesus was surveying the scene. He was looking round and he noticed these large stone water tubs, each with a 100-gallon capacity. So 200 gallons of water. They were empty and they had to be filled with water, so I wonder how long that took and where they got the water from. Anyway, they did fill them up. And, of course, they're mainly there, not, of course, to drink, but Jewish folk, whenever they visited anywhere, would purify themselves by pouring water on their hands. And so having those big stone jugs there, I would guess wherever it was, it was a popular place because they wouldn't have had so much water. Anyway, all the guests had had their hands washed and there was no water left. Well, now, I wonder what Jesus was thinking. I can almost hear him saying to himself, I could use those. Thank you, Father, for putting them there. So often in life, we're wondering when maybe things are not going right. And then something automatically appears. Do we say, thank you, Father? Time and again we've thought of that, especially with parking places in the middle of Shrewsbury. So seeing that situation, the awkwardness and the hugely embarrassing position of the waiters, beginning to panic perhaps, Jesus quietly said to them, fill the tubs with water. They must have wondered what on earth for, because they're there for washing hands. The tub's now full of water, and Jesus said to the waiters, pour some out and take it to the head waiter. He's that one over there, thinking he might be sacked. And the boss, not knowing where it had come from, was given a sample of the water, as he thought, but no, it was wine. What he was sipping was the very best wine he'd ever had. Water, no longer, but wine. Normally, he said, the best wine is served first, and later, when people have drunk so much, they don't notice when it's the lesser quality of wine. So that's the scene from which I hope we're going to learn some lessons. You can say, hear guests saying afterwards, wow, that was some wedding, but I wonder if they got anything out of it that I hope we're going to get today. I think there are four things to learn. Firstly, that Jesus replied to his mother, giving, giving us the first clue. There are times when we pray and we wonder why there's no immediate answer. It may seem that we haven't been heard, but Jesus actually knows best and when and how to answer our prayer. When we have to wait, is that saying we're not understanding God or we're not trusting him wholly? After all, Jesus said, you must pray. Devote yourself to prayer, said Paul. Paul also said, be joyful and pray continually. And Jesus told his disciples, and this is the lesson for us, that we should always pray and never give up. That, I hope, is a lesson for us because sometimes we pray day after day and we wonder if God has heard or 
if maybe we're praying out of the Spirit. Trust Jesus. He knows best. Not always do we get the answer we want. Jesus knows best. Remember he himself, the day before he was crucified, said to his father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will, Father. Even Jesus was wondering if it was right. Lord, is there a way out of it? But God knows best. Even for us who feel that we haven't had the answer that we wanted, we must say, I'm sure, when we pray, and it's not just something better than our men, we need to say, Lord, your will be done. Because he knows best. Secondly, I think we should learn this. Jesus sees a need even before we ask him. In one sense, he doesn't even need prompting. But he wants us to commune with him. Pray without ceasing. He answers prayers in his way, often by using others. For instance, if we're praying for someone who's ill, a doctor or a surgeon, or a neighbor, or the family. Jesus can use all these things in answer to our prayer, and sometimes quite unexpectedly. Some people only pray when there's a crisis. And time and again, as a police officer, I've gone to disputes with neighbors, or there's been a burglary, or there's been an assault, or even a murder, and people are crying out, God, why is this happening? And this awful phrase which people say now, OMG, oh my God. And they've got no clue to whom they're actually speaking. People aren't really praying when it's like that. But we who know him know that it is a commune. It is a link, a commune with him. Do you remember the psalmist said, my times are in your hands. I wonder how often we doubt that. Or are we assured day by day in our quiet times that our time, our life, is in his hands? Jesus turned water into wine, and not just ordinary wine from a local store, wine that was best. And we know that wine is best after it's matured. I think there's some wine in our garage which has certainly been there for the eight years we've been here and it's not been touched. I'm told it's maturing. I don't know whether it's going to be any better after eight years or 18 years, I don't know. But they did drink some wine which was found in Robert Scott's hut. Remember Robert Scott and others died only 11 miles away from safety. But they had wine in their stock and some people, a hundred years later, drank some of the wine and one of them said, this, incredibly, this is the best wine I've ever tasted. Well, how much do we trust God while we wait for him to answer? I believe he can change us in his way. He can heal, as it's Joel said, what the locusts have eaten. Because he has the complete answer. Past sin can be dealt with. Healing is part of God's ministry to us. 
So there's two lessons. One, we've got to wait. And second, we've got to understand that Jesus knows best. Thirdly, he can make our lives, even if we feel low or unwell or even questioning our faith, by his transformation, much better than water into wine, he can actually allow us to say, if we're honest, the best is now. Now, that's not always the case. I know there are people who grieve and they can't actually say, Lord, the best is now. But God knows best. We have to trust him that what he is designing, because our times are in his hand, that the best is now. Maybe our faith is restored and our service to others is empowered and reinforced. But our quiet time, instead of just being a daily routine, I believe should come alive each morning. Lord, you've saved the best till now, because this is another day which we're going to live for him. Isn't it wonderful that he heals the brokenhearted? And the people who suffer most, sadly, even as Christians, are those who fail to trust that God is doing the best for us. Now, the last lesson I think we can learn from this, fourthly, is also noted straight from this miracle that there is a complete transformation of water into wine. And I believe incredibly that he can transform any life. For John and his fellow disciples, something miraculous happened. Instead of simply following Jesus and simply walking with him, being a crowd together, by changing that water into wine, we read in scripture there that the disciples put their faith in Jesus. Up to then, he had been a friend and they were a group together. No more than that. But seeing that one sign of Jesus transforming wine, uh, water into wine, enabled them to put their trust in him. Since the Cana wedding, Jesus lived, performed miracles and signs, he healed people, he dealt with demons, he had to deal with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then, of course, he was arrested, a mock trial, crucified for you and me, and then he rose again. The best is yet to be, because we look forward to the time when we, all of us, are going to meet with him in glory. Jesus, when he rose, not only met with his disciples, but we read in scripture that 500 others actually witnessed the living Lord Jesus. You don't hear much about those 500, who they were. <coughs> but one of the people affected, of course, was Paul, who was a terrorist. He condoned Christians being put to death. Remember, he met with Jesus on the road to Damascus, that town which at the moment is so much in the news with the ISIS encamped there. But Paul met with him, and much of the New Testament is a result of that meeting on the road. And wherever we are, whatever condition we feel we're in, we can meet with him. And certainly in our daily quiet time. 
At our wedding, I'm talking about Chris and me, and it was just after the Cana wedding, we... <laughs> it's true. Our pastor was giving one of the speeches, and he illustrated something which I think is pertinent to us, not only then but today, of a young lady who had flown from Paris to Heathrow, and when she came out to the front of the airport, she negotiated with the taxi driver, because they are outside the limit of the London cabs, you have to negotiate a price, a price of £30 to take her to Piccadilly Circus. When, having driven through London's traffic, they arrived at Piccadilly Circus, the cab driver turned around and said, £40, which of course is £10 more than she had negotiated. And she said to him, a wonderful phrase, you are dearer to me now than when we was engaged. <laughs> now, of course, on our wedding day, that was particularly appropriate. But I wonder if that's something in which today we could echo. Lord Jesus, you are dearer to me now than when I was converted. Is that the case? I know we face many troubles and trials and we've had low periods in our life. But I wonder if that is the case. Lord, you're dearer to me now than when we were engaged. Today I say to us all, yes, Jesus can change water into wine, but his whole ministry is transformation, transformation of lives. Most of us have not been criminals, but we've had to be changed if we've, if we've been born again. And some of the people I have seen in my life are people who have been the worst of criminals. And some of them, a fellow called John Williamson, for instance, who had been arrested on one of my beats for killing three children. When he went to Leicester Prison, he was converted, led to Christ by the minister there. And while he was in their life imprisonment, he led the Bible study group. Now, none of you, I guess, have killed a child. I know that. But all of us have our low points. But do remember this, please. Yes, if he is dearer to us now than when we were born again, the best is yet to be as we meet with him in glory. Amen.